1 John 3, beginning at verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. We haven't had a promise quite like this one yet. And the promise is in verse 2. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're peeking ahead to the very end of time. As you know, Christians have some differences of opinion on all the details of what Scripture reveals to us about the end times. But among the things we know for certain is that He will appear. Jesus will return on the clouds just as He promised He would. There will be a new heavens and a new earth, and all who belong to Jesus will enter eternal life. Heaven is coming for those who believe in Jesus. Heaven is not always a regular part, I think, of our thinking and conversation as believers. But it can be when the Lord takes a loved one home, as he did in our church family this past week, it can, this past week, it can be and it can happen as you grow older, maybe, that you think more about heaven. An anonymous person once wrote, as a boy, I thought of heaven as a city with domes, spires, and beautiful streets inhabited by angels. By and by, my little brother died, and I thought of heaven much as before, but with one inhabitant that I knew. And then another died, and then some of my acquaintances, and so in time, I began to think of heaven as containing several people that I knew. But it was not until one of my own children died that I began to think I had a treasure in heaven myself. After that, another person went, and yet another. And by that time, I had so many acquaintances in heaven that I no more thought of it as a city merely with streets of gold, but as a place filled with inhabitants. Now there are so many loved ones there, I sometimes think I know more people in heaven than I do on earth. C.S. Lewis wrote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Heaven is real, even if not everyone thinks about it much, and even if there are plenty of folks today who don't believe in heaven. As believers, we don't want to lose track of where we're heading. We live today with that reality in mind, and we want to get the word out that this life is not all there is. 
The old order of things will pass away. When we die or Jesus returns, the Bible says we will either be with the Lord forever if we belong to Jesus, or we will live in everlasting darkness apart from God if we've rejected Jesus, have not believed on him. What will that everlasting life in glory be like? 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven will be beyond our wildest imaginations. We do know some things. There will be no more sinfulness, no more of that battle against our sinful flesh, the battle against the world, the battle against Satan. There will be no more sorrow or grief or heartache, or anxiety, or fear, no pain, no sin, anything that brings misery will be gone. We know that in heaven we will be with all of God's children who have gone before. Ken's family said goodbye on Thursday, but they will meet again. And we also know that we will be with God himself, God is invisible, but Jesus is God in the flesh, and we will see Jesus, as verse 2 says. And then our verse says this, and this is about heaven, we shall be like him. So that's a very specific promise for the believer. We talk about the gospel, God's word, the spirit transforming our lives, The promise today is that one day we will be completely transformed. We talk about makeovers. Extreme Makeover was a TV show. I have never seen it. Nothing against you if you did. But what I understand is that people were given new clothes, new hairstyles, sometimes even plastic surgery to make them more into the people that they wanted to be. What Not to Wear, that's that's a show I did watch uh, a while. That had to do with mostly clothes, and friends would tell a friend to look in the mirror, and they'd be like, hey, you're 45 years old, and you're still wearing your college clothes. It's time to update your look. And by the end of the show... There's this incredible transformation. Extreme Makeover Home Edition did the same sort of thing with homes. And we have, it's not extreme, but a little bit of a makeover going on in our basement at our own home the last few weeks. Up until now, our basement has been little kid friendly, lots of toys, but our kids are growing up. And now we're transforming that space to be more older kid-friendly, teenager-friendly, places to sit, places to do homework, play games, watch TV, hang out. As believers, we want to be made over, transformed into the image of Christ. We want to be more like Jesus, right? I don't know about each one of you, but I know this. For myself, when I look in the mirror sometimes, 
and I'm in my most honest of moments, I know that I am not everything I should be as a child of God. I know I've fallen short. I know I'm not everything I could be in Jesus. Just think of the, the day that the, the previous day. And that grieves me. I feel very poorly about that in those honest moments reflecting. Can anyone else identify with that? Well, the Bible tells us that in heaven, when Jesus appears, those who belong to him will finally, you'll be everything you can be will be transformed. Extreme makeover, God's addition, will finally truly be like Jesus, which is what we're striving to be every day. The Bible says it's going to happen. It's going to happen, believer. It's going to happen when you enter glory. There are three parts to this promise I want to talk about. The guarantee of it, the absolute certainty of it, despite opposition, and the evidence of the promise. First, the guarantee of this beautiful promise. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Some translations say, see what kind of love God has given. Check it out. Just look. So what this is, this is an invitation for us to see, to look at the amazing work of our God in salvation. Because salvation is about the love of God which results in you and me becoming His children. John loves to talk about the love of God in this letter, 1 John. And he loves to talk about it in his gospel. It's John 3.16 that says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The guarantee of this promise that it's going to happen, you're going to be transformed, is the love of our God expressed in him giving his son. Without that happening, we cannot be God's children. Without that happening, we are outside of the family of God even though in the beginning we were created to be that. God made all things in the beginning and then finally he came to man and woman, the crown of his creation. And Genesis 1 says about that, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God made us his children. God made us to have his very likeness. But we weren't content with that likeness to God. We succumbed to Satan's temptation, fell into sin, and things very unlike God became commonplace and normal in human life. Hatred and darkness and death and sin in the place of God's love, in the place of God's light and his life and righteousness. Our family likeness was distorted. God's image was defaced. But God moved history forward to call his lost children to himself until finally in the fullness of time, he sent Jesus. And in the cross, 
and resurrection, though mankind lost the privileges of being God's children at the fall, in Jesus were adopted, were called God's children. This love of the Father, it's lavished on us, says 1 John. In other words, it's given. It's a gift. The love of God, salvation, being a child of God, it's not earned, it's not achieved, it's a gift, it's all grace. There's a little phrase that came up in the Friday morning men's Bible study this past, just this past Friday, and it's a phrase, ordo salutis. Anybody ever hear of that phrase? Ordo salutis. It means literally the order of salvation. And it talks about everything that happens in salvation. What you and I experience when we accept God's gift of grace by believing in Jesus. Romans 8, 29, and 30 talk about a number of those. It's stuff like this, election, calling, regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption, sanctification, all these words that the Bible uses to talk about the gift of salvation, all things that are going on in your life if you believe in Jesus. And then there's one final piece to all those gifts of salvation. And the Bible calls it there in Romans 8, glorification glorification. That's the official biblical word for being completely transformed. We're glorified. We experience, we will experience glorification. And you might think, what kind of a word is that? We know we should be talking about God's glory, not ours. But you know what? God's word tells us that God shares his glory with us. I mean, this is, this is, we wouldn't even dare to suggest that God would do that. Jesus says in John 17 to the Father, The glory you have given me, I am giving to them. 2 Corinthians 4, an eternal weight of glory is waiting for us. 2 Peter 1, we You, me, we will become partakers of the divine nature. And this is stuff we wouldn't even dare suggest. How could this be? We will become like God? The Bible says it. And as incredible as it is, it's true. And in doing this, in God glorifying his children, God is glorified in that. And it means we will finally, perfectly be like our Lord, as God intended. This is going to happen. It's guaranteed because of the Father's love. It's part of the salvation package that you've got through faith. It's your inheritance, believer. We're made right with God. We're converted. We're becoming holy. We're adopted. All the rest, and we will be glorified. We will be finally, fully, completely transformed. Second, we have the absolute certainty of this promise despite opposition. Verse 1 talks about the world not knowing us. 
And it puts it even stronger in verse 13 of this chapter. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. And we don't like, we don't like to hear stuff like that because we kind of like uh, a lot that the world has to offer. So we need, we need this reminder. The world is going to hate you if you're a believer. It reminds us of the battle. It reminds us of John 1 where Jesus came, we're told the world did not recognize him. It's telling us we will receive opposition as we seek to be like Jesus. There will be a battle in your own heart and life, a battle against the world, a battle against Satan and the forces of darkness. And in the intensity of the battle, we can wonder about that work of God going on in our hearts. We can wonder about becoming like Jesus. We can feel, I'm, I'm too, too attracted to this world. I, I'm not overcoming these sins. This transformation, it's not happening in my life. And Satan, he's called the great accuser. He loves to make us feel rotten and unworthy. And he says, look at you. How can God love you? With those attitudes that you have sometimes, those thoughts sometimes sitting in church during the sermon, you're not on the way to glory at all, says Satan. You'll never finish, get the finish line. And we, we can look in the mirror and feel like we're getting hammered. But the reality of the battle, the opposition, the challenges, doesn't need to deflate us. The battle proves that you're on the right track. Those who oppose God's people can tell we're different. And so if we experience the battle and the opposition, it shows that we are part of God's new order. It shows that we're becoming like Jesus. And remember that Jesus was put to death by the world. Because our Savior experienced opposition, we will also. He is the first fruits. That means his people follow in the sufferings, in the battle, but also in the resurrection victory and in the glorification. The Bible promises that these light and momentary troubles are earning for us an eternal glory that will outweigh them all. Be assured you will certainly be made like Jesus in spite of the opposition. Because Jesus has gone before, because he has overcome we will too. The church will in the big picture of things. You will in your own life, your own struggles in becoming like Jesus. We see one more thing. The evidence of the promise this morning. The evidence. The evidence is verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The evidence of the promise is that your transformation is already happening. It's already underway. And it's in purifying ourselves. Purity means freedom from sin, living a life worthy of our calling. And so we seek to live a holy life. We put away things dishonoring to our Father. And we realize that includes everything about our lives becoming purified more with his will, our thoughts, our tongue and how we speak, our eyes, where we look, our hands and what we do or don't do, 
how we approach challenges in our life, pain and disappointments, what we do with our blessings and joys, how we treat our friends, how we treat our enemies. We seek purity in all of it. We seek God's way in all of it. From, from the moment we turn to Jesus until our final breath, this is your pursuit and mine, to purify ourselves before the Father in order to become more like Jesus Christ. It means undivided allegiance. It means our eyes are on the prize. It means being wholly dedicated to living life to glorify Jesus. Maybe you look in the mirror and wonder about your life. You wonder if you have these desires, that undivided heart. Maybe you see lack of transformation. You know you're not where you should be. It concerns you, troubles you. You're not alone this morning. All true believers have these concerns. The fact that you do examine yourself, the fact that you're concerned about becoming like Jesus, that's evidence of true faith. If you stop in your life and ask yourself regularly, am I ready to meet Jesus? Am I becoming more like Jesus? Then I would say, yes, you are. It means you are ready. You are becoming more like him. Though none of us sees it as much as we want to. As believers, we have evidence in our lives that we're becoming like Jesus. We see the fruit of the Spirit more and more, sometimes less than we want, but He is changing us. And it means, it all means that we're going to make it to the end. We'll be completely transformed to the likeness of our God. And if these sort of questions have never come up in your heart, I want you to ask God to put them there so that he can pour out his love in your heart and life and change you and make you a believer. The child of God becoming like Jesus, it's a sure thing. It's going to happen. He'll see you through. You're his child. You'll be made like him when he appears. This incredible future for you and hope, it's guaranteed by the love of God and Jesus. It's absolutely certain in spite of the opposition, and we have evidence of the promise already in God transforming us day by day. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. And he says, it's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. I want to be effective today. I want this church to be effective. I want my life to mean something. And that means that as a people, we look ahead to the time when Jesus appears. We look ahead to our goal, the prize, glory. May we cherish this promise about our glorious future so that we glorify our God and make a difference, the most difference we can make for Jesus today.
and that's by looking ahead.